Hey y'all, it's Adam Chandler from Ularity. Welcome back to the Darwinian Times Survival of the Fittest podcast, where today's guest is the CEO and president of the Little Gym International, Alex Bingham. If you don't know Little Gym International, they are a growing franchisor over 30 years old with over 400 locations globally. Alex has got an interesting story. He was an actual customer and now is the president and CEO. So great brand to talk to. They've been around since 1976. Um, We're going to talk everything about technology, growing culture in a remote world in today's environment, who owns culture, and scaling technology as you go from one phase to the other. So thanks for tuning in. Again, welcome back. Let's do this. Just to kick it off, welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us today for our summer series. Uh, It's where we chat with business leaders from all sectors, all types of topics from business to lifestyle uh, to entertainment. Um, We're gonna have a good session today. I'm Adam Chandler, the COO co-founder of Ularity. If you don't know what we do, we're a technology system of record for many recognizable multi-location brands that use our platform to digitize their marketing infrastructure. So today's conversation is going to last about 45 minutes. Um, there's a Q&A chat box at the bottom of the screen. You can ask us questions along the way. Um, and we also have some time reserved at the end of this. Um, over the last few months, we've spoken with executives at many different brands. So in the franchising space, Tropical Smoothie Cafe, in the technology space, Facebook, uh, in the automobile space, Ford, uh, Ford Motor Company. Um, and it's really one thing is very clear. Yesterday's business practices have evolved as we all grapple with today's complexities. And uh, we're super excited to to announce today's guest, um, which is Alex Bingham, uh, president and CEO of Little Jim. And uh, Alex has a unique story to tell. I'm not going to steal his thunder, um, but he does have a very unique story to tell from a brand to an executive, which I have not heard before. Uh, So I'm going to let him uh, talk in a second. Uh, Little Jim is definitely a, a world premier enrichment and physical development center for children four months to 12 years. Um, you know, it's the, they have over 400 locations located globally, founded in Seattle, I believe, in the 70s, franchised in the 90s, um, and they're a springboard to life adventures for kids. Big fan of the brand um, and always innovating. Um, and I'm going to let Alex tell you a little bit about uh, his story and the company and his rise from uh, into the CEO spot 20 years into the company. So I'm gonna stop the share and kind of go to, to split screen for a second and uh, start the dialogue with uh, Alex. So just to, to kick it off, thanks for joining us and, and taking some time out of your busy schedule and hope uh, all is well and, and safe back at home and in business. Um, love to hear a little bit about the brand and uh, your own personal story uh, from being a customer to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, everybody here is is safe and well, and hope hope they are with with you as well. I'm coming to you from the comfort of of my garage here. Um, in fact, in, in in the middle of my my wife's workshop, my wife makes uh, handmade baby goods and everything, and so you see all sorts of fabric and all sorts of things on the wall behind me. And so this is I've I've commandeered a desk in in the middle of her. Um, in the middle of her shop and it's been my my workspace for about the last five months or so and so yeah it's been it's been nice to be able to stay safe but yeah we're looking forward to being able to get back to the office at some point here hopefully in the not too distant future as well um 
So uh, the, the little gym as a concept has been around since 1976. As you said, it was founded in the, in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area. Um, and it was the vision of a gentleman originally from South Africa by the name of Robin West. Uh, he, um, he grew up really with a couple of, of major influences in his life. One of those was apartheid and just the, 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 the environment that he grew up in in South Africa under apartheid and, and really what that meant um, from all, all sorts of perspectives, racially as well as socially and everything. And then, um, and then also just the role that children played in society in South Africa at that time. Um, was really not very nurturing. It was, it was not a nurturing environment for children. It was not a positive environment for children. Um, despite that, Robin excelled in, gym, in gymnastics growing up and really had a passion for becoming an educator. Um, and so he went into physical education uh, first in South Africa, realized that that was not a great environment for him to do that. He then emigrated actually first to Canada, uh, got his master's degree in kinesiology and um, ultimately settled in Seattle um, again, looking for a, a place in, in public education, while the environment was much better for him there, it was not still um, the sort of, this, just, it really didn't fit his vision of what he wanted to be able to help children accomplish. It was too structured for him to be able to really accomplish all the objectives that he had. And so he set out to create his own business, and that was how he founded the Little Gym. And, and his goal in creating the Little Gym was to create a place where kids could really learn and grow and develop in all sorts of different ways, not just physically, but also socially and emotionally and cognitively. Um, and to be able to allow them to grow at their own pace, to really push them to grow, but do it at their own pace and help them build in, this, in, that, in that way, help them build their self-esteem and their self-confidence, which was something that really he'd never saw in South Africa and something that he really wanted, he, he knew was important and, and wanted to see. And so um, that was the genesis of the Little Gym. And that's when, when you talk about uh, my story with Little Jim, that's actually where my story with the Little Jim begins. I was, um, I was a student at the original Little Jim. I was born and raised in the Seattle area. And so I, I went to the Little Jim when I was a kid from age two to age five, not too long after it was founded. Um, if, if anybody that's familiar with the Little Jim lexicon, that means I was a beast, super beast, funny bug and giggle worm um, at the Little Jim in Bellevue, Washington. Robin was in fact my instructor. Um, when I went, my little brother uh, went through the program as well, and, and a gentleman who is still, Robin is still involved with our concept um, as our director of music, and, and a gentleman who served in many roles for us uh, as director of curriculum and director of training at different times, as well as now he's a senior executive of product leadership by the name of Randy McCoy, um, was, is, was my little brother's instructor. And so I, if th these are all people that I've known for a vast majority of my life. Um, and then uh, fast forwarding through, through, for just to share the rest of my story, um, I, I uh, worked at the Little Gym. At, it started franchising in 1992, um, and then I began, fran I began working in a gym that was a franchise location um, after the, the company and my family also relocated to Scottsdale, Arizona. I, um, I worked in a franchise location for a couple summers during breaks in college in the mid-90s as an instructor, um, and then I started my career with the Little Gym International uh, in 2001, not, not expecting that this would end up being my career, not looking to work my way up to the position of president and CEO, but that is in fact what happened. And it was not until probably about uh, eight or 10 years ago that I realized, oh, actually, wow, I'm, I don't think I'm gonna leave. I think I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna end up being here for, for as long as I can, as long as they let me stay here. And so um, I've, I've been very fortunate to have, have the career that I've had working my way up from being a, I started as a gym director of a corporate owned store in, in 2001 and worked my way up through the franchise service side of the business, um, working with franchisees, in a lot of different roles and working in a lot of different departments, helping out with different training and IT initiatives and everything, and then ultimately moved into um, le leadership as a vice president, then a senior vice president, chief operating officer, and now president and CEO for the last uh, over two and a half years.
quite a story. So you're truly, you're truly living the brand. I am, I am living the brand and my kids are now going to the little gym as well. So I, I am, I, it's, it is the, the, the cliched. I'm, I'm not just i I'm not just an executive. I'm also a client. So <laughs> full, full circle, um, full circle. So, so there are definitely people that will watch this video and, uh, who are new to franchising or they're, coming from a structure that's owned and operated, they may move into franchising if they're a company or a potential uh, business owner, owner operator. So for folks listening who are opening their own businesses via the franchise model, um, which is you know, a, different, a different structure, but it's, you, you, they already come into a trusted brand, there's systems in place, you know, what type of commitment do they need? And how is that different than, you know, what are some of the, you know, the positives in terms of doing this kind of on your own from scratch and try to figure out in today's, you know, multi-changing world. Sure. Yeah. And it, it's a great question. I mean, it, it, absolutely. Franchising is a very different model than owning, uh, than starting something from scratch on your own. In, in both cases, you own your own business, obviously. And that's, um, that's the common thread and, and the, the common foundation that they share. But ultimately, um, there are trade-offs with, with whatever decision you make. I think the reason that people go with franchises and the reason that franchises, uh, franchisors have success um, and, and franchisees have success is because of the partnership that they share and the, and the, the economies of scale and the efficiencies that you can gain from um, being a part of a franchise network. So starting something from scratch, obviously, the, 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 the positive that you get from that is you have full control of everything um, that, that you do. And, and so if you have a clear vision and a clear path to success, you know the operating model that you want to employ and everything, um, then that may be a great choice for you because um, you do give up some of that control with, with franchising. Obviously, when you join a brand, there, there is a framework and there are systems in place. And while that is a huge advantage and it really does, in, in most cases, accelerate the path to profitability for a business, um, you, you do, you do the, the trade-off for that is you do give up some control in that. You, you, you really are um, counted on to, to operate within that framework. Um, and, and the other thing that you give up is you potentially give up uh, and, and, and most franchise models, you give up some portion of your revenue to that, some percentage of your revenue um, to pay for the services that you're provided in that. Now, the, the beauty of a franchise model is you don't have to come with that full expertise. You don't have to come with that full vision and knowledge for exactly every, everything that all the different aspects of the business that need to work. And so the, the, the franchise model affords, I think, I think it lowers a lot of the barriers to entry. Um, that people may see in getting into a business. They may have a passion for doing something with kids, but not have the background or the expertise, um, as an example, uh, to get into a model like ours. And that's where franchising really become, really plays a big role um, in, in helping realize the dream of entrepreneurship for people that may not, be, may not have the full background or the subject matter expertise in all the different areas that are required to be successful in the business. I mean, I, I've learned from working with franchise systems, including the little gym, uh, as a partner that many franchisees have a one job nine to five then they own a few locations and it becomes addicting and they start you know becoming multi-unit franchisee can you talk about that kind of rinse and repeat process as folks come into the system and then they start to you know get into other locations uh we'll definitely get into culture um sure. on this webinar but that i think that's a kind of a phenomenon that i've seen personally just Folks come in, they enjoy it, and then they start to re-up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's actually been the, the way that a vast majority of our multi-unit franchisees have become multi-unit franchisees of ours is they've started with one. Maybe they had a vision to to grow beyond that, but but wanted to see what it was like first, and um, and then and then what happens ultimately is is 
because you it comes with all with with a, a majority of those systems in, in place and and um, as you shared, obviously the little gym is partners with Ularity, and 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 so you, you find good partners that um, help your franchisees experience success. Um, and again, it, it just creates efficiency across the board for that. It, it makes it so that while in that first unit, um, especially in our model, it, it is designed to be at least initially an owner operator sort of model. You get your you really understand all the different um, intricacies of it and and the operations from top to bottom. Um, as you as you get you really get your systems in place though, and you optimize those systems, um, you reach a point of of what if Greg Nathan, who's a who's a, um, a, a prolific franchise author and expert, um, would call um, un, unconscious competence. I mean, it just the systems are working um, without your day to day involvement or or oversight, and that makes it a much more replicable model. And then as as that as that unconscious competence is uh, producing profitability, people look around and go, "Why wouldn't I do more of this?" You know, and so then uh, uh, that 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 um, gives rise to multi-unit franchisees, and they look to replicate that success in, in other locations. We see that all the time. And just some uh, kudos and props to your organization. Um, uh, some shout-outs to Jessica Fascinelli, and uh, just does, does a great job leaning into um, making a process repeatable, operational. Um, so you have a really good team to you know kind of operate. Um, you know, to technology, but also continue to stay abreast of new things. Um, just, just to uh, change topics for a little bit sure. uh, and come back to that. Uh, one, the topic is is really a growing culture in a remote world, and um, you know, just list culture pre-COVID and culture post-COVID or during COVID. I would say has definitely taken different turns, and um, it has definitely created you know, complex uh, and perplex new challenges for folks remotely to work together to manage through culture. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about culture and how it plays a role in organizations such as the little gym. Um, as organizations grow, it's sometimes harder to maintain culture. Um, but in today's COVID adjusted world, you know, what are you able to do to cut, what are the things that you're able to keep intact and then sure. what are the things that you're not? Um, that's kind of a good jump off point to the culture topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say thanks for your comment about, about Jessica and about our team in general. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's a huge piece of um, culture in general is having, having great people, you know, and, and hanging on to those great people and building a culture in which they can thrive. And ultimately, I think what we found from a cultural perspective, there, there's, there have been two parts, I think, to what we've learned through COVID and the remote working and things like that. We, we had a fairly flexible work from home policy before, but, but honestly, it really wasn't taken full advantage of by a lot of people. And, and I think there was a stigma associated with it um, that, was, that, that said, you know, well, um, if, if, I'm, if I'm not here in the office, then people think I'm not working, even if I am working from home and, and that sort of thing. And, and I think um, I, I had concerns and, and and doubts about having a broader, just work from wherever you want to sort of policy for our team. And so I'm, I'm sure that fed into some of that stigma as well. But I, I think ultimately what we've proven, the, the operational side of it is it's been, uh, we've proven that we can be just as efficient during uh, working from home and in these sorts of environments um, as we could working in the office. And that's a huge testament to our team and their commitment, their passion um, to, to work through this and, and work together to get as many franchisees through this as possible. From a cultural perspective, um, that is, I had some assumptions about how a remote workforce would 
um, a fully remote workforce, how that would impact culture. And, and many of those assumptions have come true. We've worked really, really hard to try to maintain the strength of our culture. That's one of the things that uh, I think has been a huge strength of ours as a company over the last several years, and really for, for a very, very long time. But it's been a focal point of, of mine and of our leadership team for, for the last several years as well. And so um, as we continue to even emphasize that, it's grown even stronger, I think, over the last um, several years. And so the, it, it is challenging, no question, to maintain culture through this. Some of the things we've done to try to maintain it um, are just it, it, a lot of things that you're reading about that other, that other companies are doing as well. We're, we have, um, we used to have a monthly, what we called Wind Down Wednesday, basically a company happy hour. We've, we've transitioned that to every Wednesday, but for a shorter period of time um, via Zoom. And we have generally about half of our, half of our company, sometimes two thirds, sometimes only a third, but, but generally about half um, that, that tune into that and hang out. And we just, and honestly, we just chat and share stories and it's a nice casual time. And, um, some people grab a beer or a glass of wine or something like that. And some people just, just have some water and, but we all just hang out and, and chat. It's, it's a good time to be able to, to just be social with each other. We have themed all team meetings on Fridays. Um, and so that we, we went to a completely different meeting cadence when we, when we started just working remotely to make sure that information was still flowing through the organization and we were able to maintain alignment. Um, and so that went to daily all team meetings. Um, for just about 15 minutes, just a quick huddle. And so now we have, we, we take turns um, throughout the entire company, a different person each week chooses the theme for our Friday LT meeting. And so whether it's a new, new Zoom background, it's a costume that you have to wear, it's um, just something, something you have to share. It's, it's, um, it's been a really fun and positive thing. And actually this Monday, we're, we're starting um, a new thing uh, this coming Monday, which is called Get Moving Monday. So we're gonna do a 15 to 20 minute sort of group Option, totally optional, but group workout. Basically, it's uh, where uh, different team members are going to take turns leading it. The, the first one on Monday is going to be yoga based, um, but we're going to do some different things and see how, see how that goes. It's, it's, we, we just want to make sure that we're, we're, we're staying um, positive, staying focused, and giving people um, a little bit of a change of environment and state. Um, and so I think what, what we still have from a cultural perspective is a lot of positivity, a ton of passion for what it is that we do. And those things come through loud and clear. And I think we, we really enjoy the connection that we still have um, through all the, through the, the Zoom engagements. But what we miss is just that face-to-face -face interaction and that feeling of, of camaraderie and collegiality, I think. And that's, that you can't, I just, I think, I'm, I'm not sure how you can really replicate that virtually um, any more than what we're already doing. Yeah, I think um, people are struggling with that. I mean, I, I, I can relate as a company, um, we have a stand up every morning uh, sort of a, uh, an engineering sort of based uh, exercise, but we've, we've always had it. Um, and we went from really just talking about our KPIs and business objectives to who's got the best hat. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, who's got the best vinyl, that type of thing. <laughs> I, I usually win that one. Yeah, uh, I bet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you have to sort of integrate the social experience into the video experience. Mostly you were using video prior to COVID for kind of in and out business transactional stuff, at least from what I, from, from my vantage point. Now it's more of just, uh, you know, really how you communicate in, in all ways and, until things um, get adjusted. On the culture front, Alex, you know, who owns culture? Is that, is that something everyone does? Does that come from the top down? Like, how do you think about the ownership of culture and organization specifically adjusted in today's world? Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, I believe that culture is, has to be reflected. It, it, if you're really talking about culture, you're talking about having a strong culture, it has to be reflective of the way you live. And so in, in that way, I mean, I think culture, values, all those things are really tied very closely together. And so when we talk about culture and core values, I believe that, that, that in order to effectively have core values and really 
um, to effectively implement them in an organization, you have to live them. And, 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 and that means really everybody has to live them. And in that way, I believe that everyone owns them. You really have to own that, that, that willingness to, to live those. So I think ownership lies with everyone. I think leadership of values and of culture um, lies at the top. I think, I think, I think that, that leadership is required. I, if, if I'm not willing as a president and CEO of the company to live our core values, if I'm not willing to lead our culture, it's, it, it's, it's not fair to expect anybody else to do that. And, and so ultimately, I, I think that leadership falls on me. Um, I think that the ownership is with all of us, and that, but that has, to, that has to start with me. And on, the, and on the culture front, um, you can kind of make a differentiation case with companies that are owned and operated where mm -hmm. everyone is sort of, you know, uh, internally uh, or it's a centralized model where it might be easier to keep up culture um, under sure. kind of one roof. In a franchise model, it's a little bit more distributed and you've got owners, um, you know, with their own investments, et cetera. Is that yep. you find that when you move from... Um, you know, owned and operated to franchising, uh, mm -hmm. did you find the difference in culture a little bit more complex when you have uh, owners around the world and, you know, have different ways of doing things? Yeah, no question. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, it is, and in that way, that's, that's an even bigger testament to the idea that it's owned by everyone. I mean, it, you, 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 especially in a franchise model, um, I can have one vision for the way I want our culture to develop, to develop and evolve. Um, but I, I, while I have franchisees that are very tied to our brand and they're very invested in our brand, um, they bought their own business. They didn't, they didn't, they're, they're not employees of ours. They are, they are entrepreneurs, independently owned, um, and operated businesses. And, and so in that way, they, they feel very strongly as well about the sort of culture that they want to build for, for their individual location and, and for what they, what sort of brand they want to be a part of. And so that comes with a great deal of input, um, and engagement, uh, that we, that we look for from them, um, on that as well. Makes sense. So just flipping a little bit over to the technology side um, and in a kind of in a technological driven world. Sure. How do you stay on top of some of the latest trends and evaluate for your organization's growth? Technology is being obviously used uh, even more in an accelerated way given COVID hit. So whether it's video sure. conferencing now or automation or um, just new ways to think about the world of modern technology in sure. a COVID adjusted world. You know, what, what's the lens that you look through in terms of trends and evaluating sure. stuff as you think about growing the organization? Yeah, I think for, for us, we look first at the consumer and the, the end consumer. What, what are their expectations from a technology standpoint? What sort of trends do we need to be paying attention to on that front? Um, to me, that's, that's the number one objective that we have is to make sure that we're staying as close to that as we possibly can. Um, as a company, I don't think that we would say that we're the sort of company that is, that is um, on the cutting edge from a technology perspective, the way that we've always tried to frame it is we, we, we don't need to be necessarily on the cutting edge, but we want to at least be able to see the edge. <laughs> you know, we want to, be, want to be close enough to it to be able to see where the edge is and, and to keep up with that and to make sure that we're, that we're leveraging that. Um, and, and there have certainly been times where we've let the edge get a little bit too far away from us, but we've always been able to, to catch up to that, I think, as well. And so um, I, I think we, we, we like to evaluate it from what, first and foremost, what are consumer needs? Um, secondarily, what sort of things can we do, can we be doing to make the franchise business model more efficient? Um, and often those things intersect, but but in some cases those might be more internally facing a, uh, applications and things like that. And so that that would be the second piece. And then the third piece is how does that flow up to the corporate office? And and what are we doing from a technology perspective to make sure that we're taking full advantage of the technologies that exist 
um, in the marketplace to, to make ourselves the strongest franchisor um, and strongest business in general. What's the point, Alex? You're, you know, you've moved past 300 locations a while ago and, um, you know, heading towards, you know, uh, mm -hmm. 500, et cetera. Yeah. What's kind of the point if you've got uh, people listening to this video where you start to experience uh, a kind of a new scale uh, sure. number of unit wise, where you then have to reevaluate the systems that you have in place, the procedures, you can run things at a certain time at a certain size, right? Sure. And then as you expand, especially in your case as an international company around the world, how many countries are you in today, Alex? Uh, we're in over 30 countries worldwide. Yeah. So I would imagine what's kind of the number or the kind of the, the point where you have to reevaluate how you are able to implement systems and uh, just procedures uh, as you grow? What's like kind of that point? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I'm not sure it's it's one size fits all for all brands, but I would say if I, I can share at least from our experience what, what our inflection points were. Because I think first and foremost, it's a, it's, it's a constant evaluation process. I mean, there's, I, 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 I don't think that I could say, you know, well, it's at 100 units and then it's again at 250 units and then it's again at 500 units or whatever that is. Um, or it's at, at one country and then at five countries and then at eight or whatever that might be for every brand. I think for, for us, I, th I think it's size of, of, um, of system in general, number of stores and that sort of thing. I think it's scope in terms of number of countries and culturally how you're dealing with that. And I think it's also velocity. I think velocity, the rate of growth that you have um, that, that all play really big roles in that. But for, for us, as an example, um, in 2000, three 2004 timeframe um, was the first time that we really looked to start uh, fully automating our front desk operations and our franchise locations to, to provide an example. And at that time we had probably roughly 75 locations. Um, and that was because we believed there was an intersection of technology available as well as um, scalability, not just of that technology, but of our model. We, we were expecting, we were seeing, growth really start to ramp up and we felt like if we were going to do it that was the time to start doing it and so um, as an example at that time we looked to um, the, the marketplace what was out there we had a front desk application that we used for a few different things but it really was not a comprehensive it, it we there was a lot of paper involved in managing that too um, and a lot of additional systems and so we looked to really try to build as much of a paperless front desk as we could um, starting in 2003 2004 and what that led us to do was actually build our own application um, and so we became essentially a technology company at that point. Um, and since then we've had our own front desk management application. Um, and we are currently building actually our third iteration of that. We obviously we're constantly updating it and everything, but we're building our third. If you, if you consider each one a new house, we're building our third new house, if you will, um, uh, to, um, to manage our, our franchise operations now. And the first one lasted about five or six years. The second one, um, has been in place for close to 10 years now, um, but, but obviously with many upgrades and many additions along the way. Um, but I think that, so it, it's, it, once you get into that technology, I guess it's less about the number of units you have and much more, I think, about how long that technology is valid for the operation of your, of your systems. And, um, and then, and because in, the one thing I will say is once you're, once you're in technology, you're in technology. There's, there's, no, there's no getting back out of technology. And I think we all see the way that technology is impacting our lifestyle these days and we only see that accelerating into the future so yeah the importance of the cio and the cto and the way they interact with cmo or head of marketing or you know uh yes franchise development whatever it might be is sort of the common thread and All taking the bottom in-house where you have your own tools 
uh, where you work with partners and have your own tools. Once you have them established, and it sounds in your case, it's been it's, you know, at least over a decade ago, um, whether you have 300 units or 600 units or 2,000 units, uh, there's, less, there's less pain and yeah. there's less manual sort of plugging, you know, spinning up and spinning down in that world because sure. it's all connected with a common infrastructure yeah. um, and allows you to scale a lot more quicker when you sell a new, when you sell a new franchise, right? Sure. Yeah, no question. And again, it's, it's, there is, there is less pain in a lot of ways. There, candidly, there's more pain in other ways though. I, I, I will say, and again, there are trade-offs to all these things. And um, one of the things, if, if you follow, not a lot of franchise companies follow that model that, 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 um, that we undertook. And that's because um, what it requires is becoming a different company. I mean, you're, you're talking about being a franchising company and being a technology company. Um, and in many ways, that's, that's what we've become as well. Um, and that, that, again, that comes with, with trade-offs. I mean, we've, you, you started this by asking about uh, sort of trends in technology and that sort of thing. And how, what do we look at? And, and, that, and it, so it places a much larger burden on us as an organization to make sure that we're doing that because we don't have a partner we can rely on to stay on trend with those things or to make sure that we're building, that they're building the functionality that we would need. We need to be building that functionality. Um, but it, yes, it, it, it also affords us a great, uh, much, much higher level of control over um, what is, it allows us to be, I should say, it allows us to be more responsive to the needs of our franchisees and of their customers. Um, and so that we are not constantly having to go to market to find a new partner or to deal with um, how our partner is scaling up on things or challenges they may be having. It, it's, it's really, we get to be self-reliant in that way as, at, at the core of our IT operations. And so I think overall that pay, that's paid a lot of dividends for us. And are you seeing uh, a kind of uh, two different types of companies? You, you know, you started to automate things as you had an example on the front desk back in 2000, 2004, but there's kind of two versions of companies that we see. You've got the traditional technology companies that maybe uh, have servers on premise or they're doing things uh, were built a, a while ago. And then you've got more cloud-based, um, you know, AI, uh, mm -hmm. you know, more modern sort of slick interfaces um, and allows you to, you know, use, uh, I would say modern tools to be able to scale. Are you, are you seeing that as you partner over the last decade or two, these companies are stepping up to the challenge and helping you scale your infrastructure by bringing constant upgrades to your system? Yeah, I think by and large, that, that those are the sorts of companies that we like to partner with. I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and tell you we have a perfect track record at those things. We haven't always chosen the best partners, but I think we, whenever we haven't chosen a, the, the proper partner, we've understood, we, we've really done a, a, a post-mortem on that to understand what, what went wrong and how we can try to avoid those things in the future. And I'm really fortunate to say that um, we have an incredibly strong group of, of partners now that we work with, including Ularity, but, but many others as well, that um, we feel really, strong about, really strongly about being able to scale with and grow. Um, and, and as a company ourselves, um, that's actually a big piece of the transition we're making now is, is from a server-based uh, front desk application to a cloud-based. That's, that's the, probably the biggest piece of the upgrades that we're making now in the new, the new house, if you will, that we're building um, is all around that. And so, that's, I, I'm, um, so and, and yes, we see, we see other technology partners stepping up and doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's where we start going, right? With uh, yeah. the, the latest, um, you know, in the technology world, kind of eating a lot of different um, places or adding to a lot of different categories with Apple. I think their market cap is 2 trillion this week. I think yeah. that's the first time I've seen that, right? Hit, hit 2 trillion yesterday, I saw. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, just, we're, right, we're right behind. We're just, we're almost there. 
Uh, same. And then, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then you've got, um, I think you've got Google at a billion and a half, uh, you know, or a trillion and a half, something yeah, like a trillion that. and a half. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, you can see the leaps and bounds in technology being made both in the cloud and in mobile, uh, and just all, all across the board to benefit companies like you to be more scalable. Got to be a lot different than it was just five years ago, eight years ago to try to make the technology work to the aspirations of growth that you wanted to get to. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, the, what are the challenges? You have um, not, just, not just Apple and Google, but Amazon, Microsoft. I mean, a lot of those big, big technology companies, um, the, the technology that's just available in somebody's hand in, in, their, in their, their mobile device, what, what, you, what we used to call a phone, but isn't really a phone anymore. I mean, if phone, people use it almost uh, never for a phone now, it seems like it's more, it's just, it's a, it's a mobile computer thing, almost. Are you surprised yeah. you can actually talk on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Well, somebody's calling me. What does that mean? Right. Um, but, but that, that it, the, it's, it's, a, it's really set expectations for consumers, for businesses as to how technology, um, what technology should be available from um, any given company. And, and in some cases, honestly, unrealistic expectations. I mean, as, as an example, um, shipping costs are still a thing. You know, it actually still costs money to ship things. Most people don't necessarily recognize that because they're Amazon Prime members, and so their shipping is free. Um, but but it, it's actually it, it, they're shipping shipping stuff um, across the nation or across the world still costs money. It's just that happens to be built into the price you pay from Amazon through Prime and everything like that, or they've absorbed that cost in different ways and, and everything. Um, but it, it, th those are the sorts of expectations that you see just in general, and and that plays out, I think, in technology with. Um, just that technology being so readily available um, in so many ways that it seems like it should be easy to just flip a switch and okay, well, so we can just make that available on the website. So we can just, well, let's just roll out an app. We can just do that and, because that's what everybody does. But behind the scenes, as you know, there's a lot of work that needs to go into a lot of those things. And so I think those, those are the sorts of things that you see um, from a trend perspective that are, that, that are really impacted by a lot of these really big tech companies um, um, that, that make that, so readily available just at the consumer level. Yeah, the, the, definitely the game has changed and, and we're, yeah. we're kind of seeing that in our business as uh, you know, people are moving from more traditional systems to more modern systems. Um, just a quick uh, little information, not really, uh, just announcement. If anyone has questions, uh, just type it into the chat box uh, and our team can look at it and, and, and let me know if you have any questions for Alex. Um, I want to move a little bit into um, some passion points. So I, gotta, I know a little bit of, about this, but on the sports, music, entertainment, hobby type thing, I always like to find out uh, what, what are you getting into? What are some hacks? What are some, uh, you know, are you more in the sports, music, entertainment, hobbies? What's happening in the, well, you've got some sure. time in the garage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when I have some time in the garage, I'm not in the garage. So that's, <laughs> I try to get, try to get out of the garage as much as I can. Um, but no, the, the, um, I have a, what I'm mainly doing these days is spending time with my family because I've got two, two young kids and then two um, a little bit older stepdaughters. I've got 14 and 12 year old stepdaughters that just started virtual school. Um, and then I've got a four year old, four year old and two year old sons um, that are very active and that want to go swimming or play in the backyard or do whatever all the time. And that's, and that's a, a ton of fun for me and a good outlet. Um, but when I'm not doing those things, um, I, I'm first and foremost a huge, huge sports fan. I grew up playing a ton of sports. Um, I love, I grew up, uh, I played golf and basketball in high school and played golf also in college competitively. Um, and so I love to play golf. I've not played a lot through COVID, um, but, but prior to COVID was playing 
um, at least two, three times a month. Um, that, that is directly correlated to how many kids I happen to have. Um, it used to be a lot more than that. It's slowly um, diminished to that, but even two or three times a month is more than most. And I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting back to that. But then uh, it was also really tough not having sports for a few months there for me. Um, but I also, I, I do, I have a huge passion for music, really eclectic tasting music. And, and, um, and then I also, I used to be really into movies and, and um, different shows and everything. I've, I don't think I've seen a new movie in a couple of years now, but um, but I do still like to watch old movies that I, that I used to love. I'm, I'm okay with watching a movie for the 20th time if I really enjoyed it the first 19. That's like me in the breakfast club. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, get a, I get a question um, sure. from uh, uh, one of our channels. So one of the questions is, how do, you, uh, how do you motivate franchisees that aren't doing well, especially in current times? Obviously, we're in a, in a very uh, challenging uh, times globally and as a global company. Um, that, that's a you know, the motivation of franchisees to keep going or, you know, what does that look like in current times in terms of motivating these franchisees? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on that and our, our team is spending a lot of time on that because as a small business owner, being in business in general right now is scary. It's just, it's, it's hard. You, you don't know, it so much has changed just in the last five months and, and you don't know when that next change is coming, what that next change is going to bring. Um, but inevitably, over the last five months, whatever changes occurred, it's brought a new challenge. It's brought a new um, a, a, something, something, a, a, a change in the marketplace has required a change um, on your part from a business perspective. And it's, it's, it, there, there is absolutely fatigue that can, that can occur from that. So I think the first way that you, that you motivate franchisees through that is you acknowledge that it's challenging. I think you have to first acknowledge. You can't, you can't deny that. Um, and, and so you have to be willing to be honest about where where things stand currently and and what the facts are and what you're dealing with um, and then I think the the way that we've tried to approach it anyway is really just to look at what are the options I mean what what, what are your options Re realistically speaking emotionally you can get caught up in these things and you need to deal with those emotions um, and so we, we try to work to deal with those emotions but then when when you get down into on the more rational side of it what options do you have your options are uh, you can bury your head in the sand and, and pretend that it's not happening um, you, you can get paralyzed by, by fear or panic or whatever that may be, or you can choose to, to try to take, try to just put one foot in front of the other, try to stay as positive as you possibly can and, and, and try to build a plan for how you're going to get through this and really just figure out I, I, the way we've tried to frame it with our franchisees is we need to figure out a way to get from today to vaccine. We believe that when, when there is a vaccine that that will mark the turning point in, in customers feeling uh, by and large, feeling more comfortable coming back and engaging in large groups. In, in, in our business specifically, it requires groups of people to be together. And so in a, in a COVID world, that's not, that's, that's, that's not healthy and it's not possible in, in most places due to government restrictions, social distancing, et cetera. Um, and so while a vast majority of our businesses, our franchisees are reopened, um, none of them are operating at full capacity at this time, N not because they don't have people that are interested, although that's a part of the issue, they're just not a, a huge amount of customers are comfortable coming back, but just also because even if they did have that, they wouldn't be able to satisfy all those customers. They can't have that many people in classes. Um, and so dealing with those things and just recognizing that, hey, we, we need to figure out, it feels like this, it's been, this has been going on forever. It's really been five months. And it feels like this is gonna last for forever more. It's, it's, it's only going to be a limited period of time. At some point, this will end. I don't know when. I don't, it, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on when the vaccine will be here or what that looks like. I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what that's going to be. I'm certainly no medical expert. But what I, what I do know is that we need to get from here to there 
to a point where things can start to go back to whatever normal used to look like. Because I do believe that a vast majority of people do want to get back to living that way and that there will be a demand for our products when we get there, um, when we don't have to operate with social distancing and that sort of thing. And so for, for whatever franchisees, whatever, whatever challenges they're facing for themselves, I think the goal is to figure out what is that plan and then to try to stay as positive as possible. Deal with the reality of what you're doing, but then try to, try to approach it from as positive a perspective as you can and, and find those places um, where there is progress, where there is growth um, and, and share those. That's a great answer. There, there is realities on the ground that change differently. I mean, I can just tell you as a father, my uh, seven-year-old went to school yesterday, <coughs> school opened here, and uh, went to school in person, had masks, and uh, it's a different world. Taking your temperature when you walk in, um, different masks, and um, you know uh, they have certain rules, smaller classes. So I think uh, people are adopting as best as they can um, to the the guidelines that you need to do. And I agree, this is, a, this is just a pause that will be over at some point. I have my own theories on that, but won't get into it. Yeah. And, um, and I agree, can you weather the storm? Um, can you figure out a way to be scrappy? And also if you're able to, you know, uh, find f creative financial ways to get through it, um, then the economy, the economy and, and also small businesses will come roaring back if uh, of course you're able to make it through. One other question we have was, um, What's the one quality that you think makes a successful uh, little gym employee and franchisee? That's a question. Yeah, sure. I think it's a great question. I think um, to me, the thing it's, and it's really a, a, a core pillar of our, of our culture as well. And really it's, it's what sets the little gym, I think, apart as a, as a, not just as a, as a, franchise or a franchise concept, uh, but as a brand and from a customer experience perspective, the, the, the difference that I think most people see in the little gym with most other places that they do business, that they work, that, that they, however they engage with the little gym, um, is the passion that people who are associated with the little gym, uh, either as an employee, as a franchisee, whatever that may be, the passion with which they approach what they do. Um, ultimately, there is a core and central belief and, and I believe everybody that, that is engaged with the little gym on that side of things, that what our program does truly does help the children of the world become more successful, more successful as children and more successful as adults. Um, and and that, there's, it is very easy to get passionate about that. And I think that, that is the core passion that, that binds us together um, as a franchise community, as, um, as employees uh, of gyms, at the corporate office, throughout the organization. Um, and, and to me, if you don't have that passion at the very core, um, it's going to be very difficult to be a successful franchisee or employee of, of the Little Gym. And I think if, if you don't have the passion for what it is we do, then, then, then you should go be passionate about something else because I, I believe it, it requires passion to be successful. Um, generally speaking, it's just about whatever you do, um, or at least it's, it's, it, it's a huge, huge help. In our case, I believe it truly is required. And so um, that would be the number one thing I would say that is, that is necessary if, if you're going to be a part of the Little Gym organization. I hear you. I, I think um, it's definitely a good point. We see you have we hire for passion. I think in the you know the one or two core attributes that we look for at the same time. I'll ask you one other question. I know you're very busy, and uh, we appreciate you spending some time with. That. I have uh, a couple things on the lifestyle side. So, uh, favorite book, favorite podcast, favorite yeah, favorite book or podcast. We always try to learn something from our guests on what they're listening to or reading. Sure. Yeah. And actually, I, I we. Um... As an organization, we had pre-COVID for a, a little over a year, we'd had, we'd uh, started a book club internally 
at the little gym. Um, and so, and we were reading uh, as a group business-based books. Again, it was, it was optional, but we had, uh, we're reading a book about every two months. It was not, not, not a, not a high pressure thing, but one of the, one of the books that we read. Um, and so we've, we, we, we paused that, um, just as we got into working from home and COVID, but I'm actually looking forward to picking that back up here, hopefully in the not too distant future. I think um, one of the books that we read as part of the book club has really resonated with me and it's, and it's, and it's stuck with me through, um, through COVID here. And, and that was, um, and it's not a new book. It's, it's an older book. It's um, Shoe Dog. It's Phil Knight's autobiography, yeah. um, the founder, founder of Nike. And I just, there, there were so many lessons of perseverance that I took out of that book that have been so applicable through, um, through COVID and dealing with what we're dealing with and everything. And so to me, while I, I recognize that's not, um, not a podcast, that's not on trend, that's not a new, new book that's out there or anything like that. And we've read a lot of really good books through the book club. Um, and, and I've read a lot of other um, good books even since I read Chew Dog. That, that's the one I think when, when you ask that question, that's the first one that jumps to mind for me that, that just that has provided a lot of um, just applicable lessons through, through what we're dealing with right now. Do you, um, I have to read that. I've heard a lot about it. I have, I have, I've heard a lot about it, um, but I haven't, I haven't read it. I'll definitely check well, it out. It's a great story in addition to, in addition to, to having a lot of good business lessons out of it too, I think. Um, definitely a brand I, I uh, order a lot of gear from, especially <laughs> they, have a, they have a really nice app. Sure. Do you listen to podcasts much? Uh, you know, I, I listen to podcasts um, as much as I can. I, have, I, haven't, I haven't dedicated myself to podcasts as much as I'd like to. And so I, I don't, I'm not as good a source of podcasts. I'm, I'm, I feel, I, I feel old when I say that, but I'm not, I have not gotten into podcasts as much as I want to. And I'm aware that there are a ton of good podcasts out there, but I'm not a good source of, hey, here's a podcast you guys are missing that, that you guys should go. I know there's some really good um, franchise ones. I know Modern Business has some really good, good yeah. franchise stuff. Um, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to um, work with them a little bit on some things. Um, so I know, and I know there are a few different, um, few different types of podcasts under their umbrella. Um, I, so I think there's some really good stuff going on there. But other than that, I'm not a great source for, for podcast info. Last two, uh, music and uh, sports. So favorite album or favorite, you know, album that you're listening to right now. And then sure. give us your prediction for the new season in sports. It could be any sport, but what's okay. the prediction as a sports guy? What's, sure. uh, what, what do you see this year? Sure. So, um, so from a, um, from a music perspective, uh, as a, uh, a kid born and raised in Seattle and coming coming of age sort of high school and college through the 90s um, it was a really really cool time to be in Seattle with the, the rise of grunge and everything and so I, I, I fully adopted that and I've hung, hung on to that through um, so Pearl Jam remains my favorite my favorite group to this day um, I've heard of them. That, well yeah yeah and, and most people have and to a lot of people that's really cliche but I actually was there at the beginning um, and then and, and but I, I would say today um, I, I love listening to uh, the Black Keys and, and that sort of music. There's some really cool stuff that, that they've been doing. Their new album's really cool. Um, so, and, and a bunch of different, different bands. I listen, I listen to Sirius XM quite a bit and the Spectrum is my favorite channel because I get a mix of classic rock that I really enjoy and, and through, through grunge and stuff, but then a lot of new stuff that it exposes me to too. So that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my kind of music. Um, from a sports perspective, uh, so hard to say. It's it's just a matter of like, are, are we really going to be able to get through seasons? I, you know, is is baseball going to be able to finish finish their season? Um, it's and and if if so, it's if they are able to finish their season, I think it comes down to 
Um, I think the Yankees are going to be really tough this year. I think the Dodgers are looking really good. I, I, I must say, um, as a as a, also a Seattle sports fan, even though I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, I've really hung on to my Seattle roots from a sports perspective. Um, I don't I don't hate seeing the Astros struggle a little bit. If that continues, that's okay um, <laughs> with me. Um, I think the A's are going to be really tough. Also, I don't think you should count them out. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the how the the uh, the the baseball season unfolds. And I'm I'm anxious to see if they can play football this year. That would be that would be that that would be a nice nice escape for me. I'm I'm a huge Seahawks fan. And I hold out hold out hope that they may be able to do something um, this year. But I also think the Chiefs are going to continue to be tough to beat. We shall see. I w- uh, will let you know. I was in Seattle two years ago to see Pearl Jam in Seattle twice um, for that tour. So yes. I, share, I share that passion. That, and and seeing, seeing Pearl Jam in general is fantastic. Seeing Pearl Jam in Seattle is a, a, an even more special kind of experience, I think. I've, I've seen Pearl Jam in Seattle as well when I, when I was in college. Went to college in the eastern part of the state, but came over for the summer and, and uh, was fortunate enough to see Pearl Jam. It was a fantastic experience. I'm glad we could talk about that. I'm glad we could talk yeah. about business, glad we could talk about technology, uh, what's happening in today's uh, culture. Um, you have definitely been inspirational and um, we know how busy you are and uh, you have a great company um, and great partner to work with. And hope everyone checks out a little gym if you're not familiar with them. Uh, and also um, great, uh, great to hear all the business advice that you give to people that may be looking to get into franchising uh, who might be in it, but are looking at other concepts and just to get to know you a little bit better um, on this program. So. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and talk to me. And uh, for those that are attending, you will, this will be on replay um, and you'll get a summary. We will be doing this again in September uh, with a new surprise guest that you'll hear about soon. And um, any, any, any parting words that you'd like to share, Alex? I just, I just want to say thank you um, to you, Adam, for having me and to you, Larity, um, both for, for having me uh, as a guest today, but also for your partnership. You guys have been a phenomenal partner for us as well. And so appreciate everything that, that you're doing to help our company, and our franchisees get through this difficult time. And, um, and, and thanks again for having me on the show. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Alex. And uh, best of luck and stay safe, everyone. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks all for listening for today's podcast, The Darwinian Times, Survival of the Nimblest. If you haven't checked out Ularity, check us out. We are the marketing infrastructure for the internet. We power brands to be able to use paid marketing centrally and distributed through one easy to use paid tool. Check us out at Ularity.com, E-U-L-E-R-I-T-Y.com. And tune in for the next episode of The Darwinian Times. Thanks all.